Well, I like that old-time hymn that never gets old. Amen? And uh, greetings to all of you who are joining through live stream. We're so thankful for you. We kind of count up the views and uh, try to account for all that are gathering and um, coming under the ministry of the Word of God. And we need the Word these days uh, because pressure's mounting from the outside, right? And the pressure from the outside um, has impact on the inside and on our own lives and in particular where we're looking this morning on marriages. Um, The great theologian and uh, former NFL defensive lineman um, Warren Sapp, he used to say that, hey, pressure makes the pipes break. And it's true. It's very true that uh, pressure, pressure from the outside makes things uh, burst on the inside at times. And while we have pressure from the outside, whether governmental, societal, or even our own what's going to happen pressure, we have to understand that we have a mission to still grow spiritually and be governed by the Word of God and be helped. And in particular, what we're going to be looking at is marriage and, and the very sobering topic of divorce. Divorce is a very common event in the lives of many in secular society, but also within the church. And out of all of the topics that Jesus could have addressed in his, I believe, his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, one of the six illustrations that he's using in chapter five is divorce. He's correcting wrong teaching, a twisting of scripture that the Pharisees and rabbis were doing uh, with the Old Testament text. And he's bringing correction. He's bringing clarity. And with clarity, he's bringing help. With clarity on the issue of divorce, he's actually bringing grace. Grace. With the clarity of scripture, with coming face to face with what is clearly written for us in truth regarding something as sobering as the the matter of divorce, there is grace in the clarity. And it's important for us to face the truth of what God's word says about marriage and divorce uh, so that we can embrace God's guidance and direction and we can, watch this, be of help to others who are facing the implications of either a possible divorce or coming through the fallout from a divorce. Divorce is hard. Under any circumstances, it's always, always very, very hard, very, very heavy. And I would venture to say that for those of us in the room, many, if not most, have been either directly or indirectly affected by a divorce. Uh, Perhaps as a child, you had parents who were divorced, or perhaps you have been divorced. Perhaps you were sinned against and you... uh, There was a divorce because of that sin. Perhaps you sinfully divorced and you're feeling the weight and burden, even as a believer working through, what do I do now in the wake of that and the experience of that guilt as I face scripture? Well, scripture gives the grace as you're willing to work through it um, with what it says. And this is a heavy topic all week long. I studied it for precision and for detail with this topic, but I was studying with a pastor's heart, and I just want you to know that to even bring up the word divorce is hard, is heavy, is something that uh, is atmospheric in the room, and we feel that together. And so we're having a family time with the Word of God, with the topic of 
divorce. And I just bring it. I'm just telling you, I'm bringing this very humbly and um, a humble heart as I yield to what the word of God says. My title is Divorce is Easy, Divorce is Hard. That's sort of a compelling, I'm trying to compel you to think that through. Society says divorce is easy. Society says it's just something you do. You just change up partners and move on. But we know better that divorce is always hard. And Jesus approached it with that in mind. I read an article. It was a long time ago. I read this, but it was from the web. And even though it's a long time ago, I, you know, I'm still maybe in a younger category where I could find something from the web back then, but because there was a web. But what it said is this divorce online is fast and easy. It's a premier affordable divorce service center. Our simple and inexpensive process will enable you to complete your divorce documents from the comfort of your own home without incurring the cost of an attorney or dealing with the lengthy lengthy completion and and delivery periods. The total cost is $249. This company does not provide blank forms or divorce kits. You will receive complete documents, explanations, and instructions. The documents are customized to the state or province you live in, your children, your income, your assets, and other factors in your case. Three-step divorce is an easy divorce solution. Do it yourself without a lawyer. If it wasn't so sad, it would be funny, but it is sad, right? But that is the spirit of the age. Just change up, change up. I've, I've lost interest. Something's happened. Let's take the easy way out. There's just a pragmatic approach to divorce that needs to be confronted. But even the world knows better. Even the world, and I pulled this up from the web as well. It was um, a, a person trying to give consolation from a worldly perspective, not a biblical perspective. He was just saying this regarding divorce. It was under a website called Divorcing Secrets. He said, to understand why divorce hurts so much, it's important to consider how you arrived at your current situation. I don't mean the fights that ultimately force you to make the decision, that continuing was too hard. Rather, I mean to consider the thoughts that went into your finally deciding to marry. Remember when you first met your ex. This was the first person that you thought complimented you, completed you, knew you, trusted you, accepted you. You thought you would grow old together, give birth to your children and work through things together in that way. You had a public ceremony. You were welcomed into a special club called marriage The reality check now is that you're suddenly in a place where your world is falling apart. You can't have a coherent thought without thinking of your ex. Um, And I'm just kind of reading through this out loud, but this is not like a breakup with a boyfriend or girlfriend. It, it It was something that was your future, and now you have a new future. Divorce is a public statement. It hurts because it's so sudden. Courtship is like weeks or months or a year, but divorce seems to be so quick and final. Divorce is... Always hard. It's no easy matter ever in any scenario, but it's not hopeless. We have the word of God. Believers deal with all kinds of guilt. And sometimes I want to say this. Sometimes you're in false guilt. You're dealing with a kind of pain. I'm not saying it isn't always painful, but you're dealing with a kind of pain that needs to go away. And the scripture perhaps can give you clarity to how to offload some of the pain that you've had as a burden on your heart. When divorce is biblically understood, there is grace from the clear teaching of scripture. 
but you have to take it at face value. I'm sure that some of you have not wanted to look at scripture in light of maybe what's happened to you. You've avoided scripture. You've avoided coming face to face with it, but I would invite you to just see what's here because the Lord has it here for you. Let me read Matthew 5 verses 31 and 32 just to set up our discussion. We're gonna unpack these verses in light of some wider teaching as well. Verse 31, it was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, these are two positions on divorce. And point one is coming from verse 31 and then point two from verse 32. Um, Point one is divorce is easy. It's never easy, but I'm using that as a play on words. Divorce was being cast as if it's just easy. It's just pragmatic. It's just a business decision, something that you work through. Divorce made easy. This is what Jesus was confronting and correcting. Pharisees and the teachers of the day, the rabbis, were taking Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 24, which we're going to open up in a minute, from Moses, and they were twisting that, making it a pragmatic one, two, three step for being divorced. Deuteronomy 24 is what Jesus is saying. He says, It was also said, verse 31, he's quoting Moses from Deuteronomy 24, but he's indicting the wrong use of this. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. What he's confronting is the way that that was interpreted and applied wrongly. Deuteronomy 24.1 says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. Now, let's just stop there. This is this is building the um, context for what was going on back then. That's why I'm referencing it. But let's go back to how the rabbis were using it. They were saying this is just steps for making an easy divorce. Step one, you're a husband. The wife finds no favor in my eyes anymore. I like somebody that's better. So now I'm on the road to divorce. That's how the Pharisees were taking this. We'll, we'll unpack it the right way in a minute. But hey, step one, I don't like her anymore. Step two, he has found some indecency in her. This would be some kind of sexual sin. Now, what, what the Pharisees or the teaching of the rabbis were saying is, if you can find something, if you can dig something up from the past or there's something that's happened in the present, you know, maybe up to the point of adultery, not full adultery, but there's something there, then I gotcha. It's the gotcha mentality. Some kind of indecency. And then step three, then he, he writes her a certificate of divorce. That's a process Moses made an allowance for. Um, They actually ramped it up, the rabbis did, to this is a command. Well, you find that indecency, so now you are under law to give them a certificate of divorce. You put it in their hand um, as a way for people to know that, that this happened, and that's on her, and you send her out of the house. One, two, three. And by the way, if you do it this way, you're right with God. Now, this is the rabbinic teaching and twisting of scripture then. This is what people were doing. This is called what um, Matthew chapter five says in verse 19, whoever relaxes the law. 
by making the law a legal, superficial, pragmatic, step-by-step thing that you can follow to make yourself right with God, that's making God's law and turning it into silly putty. It's relaxing it. It's, it's, it's rendering it useless, really. It's legalism and moralism that doesn't do anything for you in regards to God. The law was always meant to shine a searchlight on our hearts so that we could repent of our sins and be right with God. That's what Jesus is fulfilling. He's showing the intent of the law here for us to follow. Nothing's changed from Moses' day, 1400 years BC, to where he wrote Deuteronomy 24 and was, was talking about divorce then, where people were just trying to change partners back then. They were trying to get out of their marriage and figure it out. And then in Jesus' day, um, in you know, AD 30, and then you have, here we are in 2021, we're all still talking about divorce. Is divorce supposed to be made easy or is it something that's hard? Hard. It's a hardship. It's something that, he, that, that warrants investigation in terms of hearts, not just legal pragmatism or pragmatism. So easy divorce was mainstream in Jesus's culture. There are rabbis who were known rabbis who represented schools of thought for easy divorce. Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Shammai was around 30 years BC and then 30 years AD, those 60 years and Hillel, same time frame. But they really represented schools of thought. Like you have, you know, this school of Shammai, this school of Hillel, almost like news networks. You have, you know, schools of thought. And Shammai was more um, rigidly trying to apply the law in terms of the sexual indecency of Deuteronomy 24.1. If you find that sexual indecency, then you can start the process. Hillel was much broader than that, but he was putting it as some indecency all the way up to um, actual physical adultery. Deuteronomy 22.22, just to remind you, if a man was found lying with a woman, both of them shall die, the man and the woman, you're purging evil from Israel. And so if people are caught, and if you harmonize that with the law from Numbers, it has to be two or three witnesses. It has to be something that's really um, clear. And then they are stoned to death per old covenant law. So Shemaiah is going, well, it can't mean that. So the sexual discrepancy or indecency has to be something in that vein, something up to that point that we're diagnosing. And so then you can just send that person away and they don't have to be killed. That was the superficial handling of the law in that day. And that was wrong. That was the gotcha mentality. We know that even in cases where people were caught in the physical act of adultery, that People weren't always stoned to death. I think in the egregious cases where people were hard-hearted and unrepentant and caught, then they would be stoned to death. They would have been executed. But you remember David and Bathsheba sinned in physical adultery. Neither were stoned. You remember Joseph when he found Mary to be with, with the child and he didn't know it was by the Holy Spirit. He was putting her away. That was a form of divorce as they were in a ceremonial engagement at that point. And then in John 8, 1 through 12, you have the woman who was, um, who's standing to be stoned by the elders in the gates and they were going to stone her. Jesus comes up and he writes something in the sand and says, he who has not, he who was without sin casts the first stone. So he's indicting the whole process and he's forgiving this woman on a heart level. 
So Jesus is always targeting the heart. And I think even there's something to that with the law and the narratives of scripture to say that in every case, when someone was caught in adultery, they were not stoned. And so this is sort of imploding Shammai's like um, legalism saying, okay, we're, we're codifying this. Okay, this means that, this means that, this means that. And so in those cases, you can just pragmatically get a divorce. You know, ali, ali, oxen free. You're green lighted to go. You're, you're good to go and you're right with God. That's what Shammai was saying. Well, Hillel, he took it to a wider level. That was sort of, you know, a conservative legalism. Now you got liberal legalism. And the, the liberal here is going, look, no, um, any sexual discretion can be widened here. Some indecency um, would, would be a more lax view. Like, you know, you burned, you burned someone's breakfast. You burn the breakfast, so we're out. You know, you're out, we're done. And that was sort of the, the joking phrase that was labeled with Hillel. It's like, you burn the breakfast, it's over. The husband lose interest. He found somebody better that he liked. It's the incompatibility argument today where, so, you know, you take the Rorschach exam with, with your spouse and you go, you know what? You're, you're a beaver and I'm this, you know, kind of animal. I'm an otter and you're, you know, I don't know what. It's like the psychological um, stereotypes where you begin to say, you know, we're incompatible. We were never meant for each other. That's the spirit of Hillel. Does that sound familiar though? Right? People are in the change up partners uh, mode and they, they try to rationalize that divorce is easy. This is just cultural, even within the church. But I want to warn you, and you know better, and even the world knows better divorce is hard. It's always hard. It's always the wrong option in terms of it's not easy, it's hard. It's hard. Now, biblically, it is allowed, and there are options. I say it's the wrong option. It's not always the wrong option. If it's a biblically warranted um, path, there is an allowance for it, but it's always um, hard. It always has to be understood as something that is, that is going to hurt people. It's always difficult. So divorce is nowhere. Let me say this. It's nowhere prescribed in scripture. The rabbis were saying that, oh, from Deuteronomy 24, this is a prescription. It's never prescribed by God. It's allowed by God in certain situations and circumstances. It's a concession. Moses was conceding divorce. Now listen, and you might turn here in your Bibles, Deuteronomy 24, 1 to 4. It says, when a man takes a wife and he marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and if and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife. All right, here's the command. All of this is just describing a a rough culture that Moses is trying to give some limitations on. That's what he's doing. He's stemming the tide of this easy divorce mindset and saying, there is something you need to know. Look at verse four. Then her former husband who sent her away may not take again, take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. What's the point? 
The point is simply this. If you are married and there is a decision to divorce and then that wife marries another man and that man dies, then don't think you can go back to that woman who you divorced and marry her again. There is finality here. We're not playing games within a a culture, especially within this covenant community that is defiling the covenant community of Old Testament Israel to play games and just change up partners at will in a whimsical way. Actually, the whole point is that divorce is not easy. It should be made hard to do, not something that is just a glib decision. This was for the purity of testimony within the the nation of Israel. This serves to warn husbands and wives to take marriage seriously, and it stems the tide of easy divorce. Now, this was no different than what Jesus was teaching in New Testament. Jesus was not um, correcting anything that Moses had said before. Jesus is right in the same stream of things, making an allowance, not giving a command for divorce. And this is Matthew chapter 19, 1 to, 1 to 9. I want to I wanna expand the teaching of Matthew 5 with Matthew 19. So I'd invite you to turn there to look at Jesus' teaching here. And we'll be here, we'll get there in the exposition, but I want to open up just a few points here. It says, now when Jesus had finished... These sayings, this is Matthew 19, 1. He went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for, catch this, any cause? That would be an easy divorce category. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, therefore, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Let's stop there. Why is the, first of all, in verse one, why is the region of Judea important beyond Jordan? Um, he went away from Galilee. What is he talking about here? Um, Matthew is locating Jesus on the Bible map for this purpose. He's saying Jesus is in the area of Herod Antipas. Now, there were four Herods after Herod the Great that were the sons of Herod, and they broke up into four regions um, of, of rule, um, ruling for, the, for, the, for sovereign Rome, ruling the Jews. And one of them was Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was a bad guy who interrupted his, uh, his half-brother's marriage. So he basically was the reason for the breakup between Philip and Herodias so that he could seduce her and bring her and make, make, him, make her his wife. This is that easy divorce mentality. Look, I'll just, I don't know how he did it. You know, he seduced her. He might have uh, changed the law or, or did something, but he wrested Herodias away from his brother, his half-brother, Philip, who was also in leadership. And so who called that out? John the Baptist. Because Herod Antipas is setting culture. He was interrupting the, you know, the narrative of the sanctity of marriage. And so John the Baptist is saying, that's wrong. This is immoral. And what happened? Herod, uh, John the Baptist was, Herod put him in prison. And then ultimately, um, Herod's daughter asked for his head and he was beheaded for that stand on marriage. John the Baptist flew in the face of easy divorce. And, and was beheaded for it. And the Pharisees knew that. 
And they're saying, well, Jesus is like John the Baptist. And so Jesus is now located right in the region under the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas. So we're going to test him and get him to say either I'm a hardliner with John the Baptist. And then he would go to jail and perhaps lose his head like John the Baptist. Or he's going to take the position of Hillel and say, hey, anybody can get divorced for any reason. So Jesus is going to be a hardliner or you're going to be a softy here. And either way, we have taken... We've taken the edge off your ministry. We've either eliminated you or you're now with us and we're all in easy divorce land and it's no problem. So what does Jesus do? Jesus actually does what we all should do. And guess what? There's a lot of Me Too culture. There's a lot of Catch-22 culture that wants to trap you as a Christian where if you say something one way, then you're caught this way. If you say something another way, you're caught that way. Are you resonating with me? Do you understand the culture we're in that... People are doing this all the time. This is what they were doing to Jesus. What Jesus, what Jesus did is what we should do. Think about what the real issue is that needs to be addressed and go there biblically. Don't take their bait and talk to them in terms of their debate. Go to the issue beneath the issue. And so what Jesus did is he went back in his mind to Deuteronomy 24 and then and, and recognized that, that whole thing that Moses was doing in Deuteronomy 24 was a concession because of the hardness of heart in the culture. But what was the original intent of marriage? Let's go there in Genesis 2, 24, before sin was ever even injected into the world. And that's what he's quoting here in Scripture. He's saying, verse 5, Matthew 19, um, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Well, actually, verse four earlier, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made male and female? So you have men and women are the ones who are supposed to get married, right? Monogamous marriage. I know that's foreign now in our culture, but men and women get married. It's monogamous. And then verse five, you leave father and mother, you hold fast to your wife, you become one flesh. The two shall become one flesh in verse six. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce? Hey, what about Deuteronomy 24? He, Moses commanded that, right? No, Moses never commanded that in Deuteronomy 24. This was a concession that was not a command. It was, it was a way actually to limit what was already going on. But the Pharisees had twisted that. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of, here it is, whose hardness? Jesus levels everybody, looks at the Pharisees. It was their hardness back 1,400 years earlier under, under Moses before they're going to the promised land. They were hardened in their hearts. And so he was stopping something. He was, you know, he was stemming the tide. And then, but he's saying now, Pharisees, this whole discussion is because of the hardness of your heart. Not just them, but yours. What we're talking about is the hearts. Your easy divorce, your, your, your trap that you've set before me is all because of the hardness of your heart. Your hardness of heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. This was an allowance. And they say to, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And we're going to unpack, unpack what that means. But again, what Jesus was doing was he was, he was stopping the anything goes culture that was coming through, relaxing the law and twisting 
the scripture goes back to the root cause. People will use whatever they can, even scripture, to rationalize getting a unbiblical divorce for giving up on marriage. Because guess what? Marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. Yeah, it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's work. It's work. You put your head down and you work. And it's hard. And it's a blessing. But it is also a commitment. And what the culture wants to do is weaken the commitment. So Jesus, what he does instead of that, he goes to the heart. He wants people to examine their hearts and think through marriage and divorce on a heart level, the very thing that the law is opening up. And verse 32 is of Matthew 5. I direct you back there. Verse 32 of Matthew 5 shows again that divorce is hard. He says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Divorce is hard. Up front, I want to say this. Jesus was right in line with what Moses said. The same Holy Spirit that illuminated um, Moses to say what he said, illuminated the Son of God to say what he said in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew 19. This is not an undoing. It's all in the same Um, vein of each other. And Paul, we're going to quote from 1 Corinthians 7, same thing. The Holy Spirit is giving us the clear, full teaching of Scripture. And there's not a command to divorce ever, but these are limitations and these are clarifications so that you understand um, what's going on. For instance, let me just clarify this and make make it stand up for you a minute. If someone commits adultery in the marriage against a spouse, that is not ever an automatic nuclear bomb option to a marriage. Adultery is not the, oh, you've done this, and so that means that. That's actually easy divorce thinking. It is. We know from the the prophet Hosea that God used the testimony of an unfaithful wife in Gomer to picture and portray God's faithfulness to his covenant people, Israel, over and over and over again, going into idolatry, going into hard-hearted phases of of apostasy and leaving. And, And God used Hosea as an example to show God's unfailing love and commitment to the nation of Israel. And it was a metaphor, but it was a powerful one. Hosea was a prophet of the northern kingdom. It was um, a few decades before the Assyrian cap- captivity in 722 BC. Um, you have six kings who had been part of Israel's um, leadership and Israel's prosperity by that time had turned into moral K. And this is a symbolism of God's grace on a nation that was fallen into idolatry. It's Hosea's unfailing love for Gomer. Hosea 1, 1 and 2, the word of the Lord. It came to Hosea, verse 2, when the Lord spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take for you, to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land and commits whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Hosea 3, 1. And the Lord said to me, go again, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. Stay with Gomer and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, aphrodisiacs, and things like that. The point is restoration. The point is that the gospel is more powerful than anyone's sin. And you can stay together. 
At the same time, Jeremiah uh, portrays a divorce of the nation. And so that metaphor is used there too. So when is there an allowance for divorce with this kind of this kind of um, work for faithfulness? Well, the issue is examining the heart. The issue is examining the heart and understanding if an allowance like what Matthew gives ever applies. Jesus is taking things head on. He's talking through the implications of divorce, just like Moses was doing in in Deuteronomy 24. He's saying, you know, you can't just change up and remarry the one that you divorced before. Jesus is saying here in Matthew 5, divorce is unallowable unless in the case of sexual immorality. And if you if it's not for that reason, then you're actually committing a form of spiritual adultery. If you get with people who are in unbiblical divorce. Jesus is giving grace by this because he's showing limitations that should restrain people from falling into licentiousness and hardening their hearts away from God. Just like how we talked before, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's heaven and hell is at stake. We have to be right with God, not in our actions, but our actions are proving what, where the state of our heart really is. And so God is always calling us to have a soft heart with Scripture. Forcing your wife without biblical causes in God's eyes, actually, according to Matthew 5, is no real divorce at all. Look at this. If in Matthew chapter 532, unless it's on the ground of sexual immorality, if, if it's not for that reason, it makes divorcing a what your spouse makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. If it's an unbiblical divorce, it's even if it's a legal divorce, it's in the eyes of God, not a real divorce. And so then if people remarry or get together, they're committing adultery because in the eyes of God, that original one flesh relationship is still true in the eyes of God. Romans chapter seven deals with this. Romans 7, look with me at verse 1 of Romans 7. It's actually making the point that the marriage is, a person is released to remarry when the spouse dies. When the spouse dies, then that Christian is able to remarry. Look at Romans 7, it says, Or do you not know, brothers? For I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law, To her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So in this case, according to Romans 7, the release to remarry is when your spouse actually dies. It's pretty hardcore. There are churches who actually just kind of narrowly look at that passage and they are called, they take a no divorce position. They say, if you are married, there's never an exception where you could divorce and be right with God and be remarried. And they say, the only case is when your spouse dies, then you're released to be remarried. Well, that's true that you are released to be remarried, but is that the only case that you would be in, you know, good stead with God to be remarried? Well, there's the exception clause here. Where does that leave us with verse 32? It says, except on the ground of sexual immorality. There's actually another case. You have death, 
When your spouse dies, you can be remarried. Well, there's another case where you can be remarried, and that is in sexual immorality. What are we talking about here? Are we talking about someone who commits physical adultery? Not necessarily. Someone could commit physical adultery in the marriage and they could seek forgiveness, be right with God. You could forgive them as a spouse and stay married. It happens all the time. I've known families that have a glorious testimony where one or the other of the spouse falls into sin, maybe, maybe several times and repents and, and they're restored as a couple and they stay together and they're committed. And that's a great scenario. Does it mean that someone who is committing sexual immorality that's all the way up to physical adultery couldn't be divorced? No, that could be grounds for divorce or it could be forgiven them with God and and then horizontally with each other. Sexual immorality, I want to clarify this. This is very important to understand. That word is porneia, where we get the word pornography. Like, but what, what it is is a broad and general term that's talking about sexual sin in the heart and in action, but not only actions, but always the heart. Remember, a few verses earlier, Jesus is saying, if you have lustful intent in your heart, you've committed adultery already. What is he talking about? Is he saying that if a spouse, either one of them, are committing lustful intent in their heart, that that's grounds for divorce? No. He's saying, you better get that right with God. You better be willing to reroute your life as if you're radically amputating your arm or, or radically ripping out your eye. Getting that right, dealing with that because that's undermining your spiritual life. It's, it's jeopardizing the assurance of your salvation. You shouldn't think you're going to heaven if you're unwilling to repent of that sin. It's lustful intent because you're committing adultery before God and to your spouse if you're married. You are undermining your marriage. You're eating your marriage alive. Is that grounds for divorce? It could be. If someone doesn't repent of hard-hearted sexual immorality in their heart with pornography, with another person, up to the point of physical action or actual physical action, unrepented, hard-hearted immorality is the separating mechanism in a marriage. That's, That's what has to be restored And if someone is hardened to the point where I would say where church discipline is involved, ideally where there's witnesses, where there's interventions, where there's long appeals for people to come back to be right with God, where you're working with a couple, you're trying to restore it, you're trying to build forgiveness. And if somebody hardens their heart to a point where they're like, I'm going to reject God, I'm not going to get right with God, I'm leaving the faith, that's what Jesus is talking about. And guess what? That process is not easy. Divorce is hard. Earlier I said there's no, you know, option for divorce. Well, that is the concession. That is the allowance for divorce. You know what that is? That's mercy for the other person to say that person is not going to ever repent of sin, this sin, and I know they're not. And so then they're released. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's talking about. Sexual immorality is lethal to marriage, but it is hard-hearted, unrepented of sexual immorality that ultimately ends marriages. It doesn't have to, but 
That's what Jesus is talking about. That's where the release to let someone go and be remarried is found. And that's actually what we find reiterated through Paul's voice in 1 Corinthians 7. Let me clarify all of this in this way. Well, actually, before we go to 1 Corinthians 7, let me go back to Matthew 19. I want to do this at risk of belaboring this point. But, but if you go back to Matthew 19... Um, Jesus is filling that out very completely and he's tying it together with what Moses taught in Deuteronomy 24. Verse 7, they said to him, when, when, when then did Moses, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce? We know he didn't command that and send her away. In verse 8, Jesus said, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives but, but from the beginning, it was not to be so. And he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for, this is the same word, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. It's, it's filling out the same thing. Porneia, except for porneia, unrepented of hard-hearted adultery. Unless it's that, when people remarry, they're actually committing adultery. All right, now let's go to 1 Corinthians 7. It's the same thing. When someone is so hard-hearted, Paul makes an allowance for you to let them go if they leave the marriage. That's what he's saying here. 1 Corinthians 7, 6 says, Now is a concession, not a command, I say this. Again, Paul is not commanding. Moses didn't command divorce. It was, it's not supposed to be done, but there is an allowance for it to be done. That's really the harmonization of this. It's not a command, it's a concession. Was that with Moses, that way with Jesus? Not a command, it's a concession. And now it is with Paul. It's not a command, it's a concession. So as I say this in 1 Corinthians 7, 10, to the married, I give this charge. It says, not I, but the Lord. He's, in other words, he's going back to Jesus's teaching. This is nothing new. The wife should not separate from her husband. Jesus, that was referencing Genesis 2, 24. Um, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So if a wife strays from you and is in sin, um, she's not supposed to remarry. She's supposed to get right with God, be reconciled to her husband. And the husband is supposed to work on that with her. Verse 12, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord. Now, what Paul's doing here is he's saying, listen, this is something that Jesus did not specifically address. Paul is not contradicting what Jesus addressed. He's building on it in a New Testament church application and, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is as powerfully inspired as what Jesus said, but it's building on what Jesus said before, not contradicting it. It's just giving a new categorical application, okay? I used to struggle with interpreting what that meant, so I'm just belaboring it. Sorry. All right, verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any man, if any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. What's going on here? You have a person in a marriage who is a believer or maybe it's two unbelievers and then one of them becomes a believer and the other one doesn't become a believer. Happens all the time. First Peter 3, it's women trying to win their husband without a word. It's what Paul is saying, if you're in that situation, that is not grounds for divorce. You're not going to be corrupted by her, by you being in Christ and, and her not having a believing 
um, heart or a new nature. You stick it out. God's put you in that situation. Why? Because you can win that person to Christ and that's your heart. And in 1 Corinthians seven fourteen, he goes on and says, for the unbelieving husband is made holy by his wife. So the wife's influence is actually having a, an influence, a gospel influence on the husband. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Listen to this. It also splashes down on the children. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. The best situation you can be in, even if you're in a rocky marriage and you're a believer and you're with an unbeliever or somebody who's hard-hearted and unrepentant and you don't know, but you have kids in the home, the best thing you could do is stick it out for the sake of Christ and live on the power of God and the power of the gospel, even if you're feeling stifled in the home. Now, I'm not talking about abusive situations, but I'm like physical abuse that, you know, there probably needs to be some protection and intervention there. But I'm saying spiritually speaking, there are a lot of situations where you stick it out and you persevere and you're doing it. Why? For the glory of Christ, to win your spouse to Christ, but you do it for your kid's sake so that they can see what gospel power looks like. Otherwise, your children are unclean. They're just they're just outside and they're, you know, they're, they go, what's real and what's not real? They get disillusioned, right, about God and the gospel. But if they're in that situation, that pressure cooker, and they see Christ as Lord in your life through hardship, they're called holy. That means the power of God, the power of the gospel is working in their lives and they probably will get saved through that. That's what I believe it means. It's the splash effect of the gospel in the home. Remember, remember Timothy's mom? Remember when Timothy was, was picked up in Lystra by Paul and put on the mission field and it said, you know, his mother is a believer and his father is a Gentile? It was the grandma and the mother who had won Timothy to Christ, but that was out of one of those unequally yoked marriages. It's powerful, powerful. But nevertheless... It, it goes on to teach that if the unbeliever leaves, you're free. You're free to let them go. Look at this in verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, that can be translated divorce. The unbeliever, the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister, the one who is the believer in the home, is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? You can't guarantee that. Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, again, there, there's no ideal situation in divorce. It's always going to be hard. Some of you have had, perhaps you're working through whether you've had a, an unbiblical or sinful divorce. Um, some of you are working through the fallout of having parents who were divorced. Or perhaps you had what I would call a biblically allowable divorce. They're all hard scenarios. The kids are always wrestling through what happened to mom and dad. We get it. And, and there are unideal scenarios, but there is gospel power to get you through. The three biblical reasons um, that God will allow divorce um, biblically are death, Romans 7, 2, hard-hearted, unrepentant immorality, Matthew 5, 19. And then thirdly, what we just looked at, abandonment, 1 Corinthians 7, 15 and 16. But in all of these scenarios and in the other scenarios, we have to understand that though divorce is always hard and a hardship, there's always mercy at the cross. 
There's always a way forward, a way to be healed. Transparency, openness, getting counsel. And listen, going face to face with scripture and looking at what is actually there. The Bible is very real life. It's very down to earth. It can be applied to help you and dig you out of whatever situation you're in. You just have to be open and you have to come to scripture. It goes to the online people as well. I, this is a message that needs to be out there to, for people to hear that there's gospel life and hope in Christ. Even through hardship, it can be overcome with grace. Listen to these take-home points. You can write them down. They'll be on the web uh, later this week um, under the sermon notes. Number one, the gospel offers hope for marriage no matter its present state. There's hope. There's hope. Number two, the gospel offers hope to you if you've been divorced. There's hope. It's a great word in scripture. There's hope. There's a way forward. Biblical divorces and even unbiblical divorces. We have to think that through together and and put you on good ground with the word of God. And you can be put back together in this life with the word of God. Number three, the gospel offers power to take for you to take your wedding vows seriously. Don't forget what you vowed to your spouse. You married people. Don't forget that. Take them seriously. Number four, the gospel offers you power to be single. Some of you were married and then you're divorced and you're single. The gospel gives you power and strength to be single, to embrace where God has you now. We as the body of Christ are married to Christ. We're free to minister. And it's important to be sobered by these passages before you just glibly go into a new marriage, right? You want to be very careful. You want to be intentional. You want to see what God is doing in your life there. And if you're single and you've never been married, it's to be sobered and to realize that you want to be married to the right person that God brings into your path. Number five, the gospel offers power to minister to others impacted by divorce I'd venture to say that we have some connection to someone who's been impacted by divorce. You perhaps have been impacted by divorce and God can give you a ministry of comfort and love and, and, and a ministry of the word of God in someone's life to help them through what they're going through or to help someone avoid being divorced in the first place. It's our ministry. Whether you've been impacted by it directly or indirectly, God probably will use this message or this teaching from God's word for you to help someone else. Okay? It's a hard message. It was hard to preach. Um, I really wanted it to be pastoral to your hearts. And I love you. Um, the Lord gives us this to, to see us through. And while the pressure comes on, while this week looms in terms of what's going to happen with the presidency, what's going to happen in politics, what's going to happen, and the pressures on the outside threatening the pipes to burst on the inside, let's steady ourselves with the word of God and be there for each other and get, and get ourselves through this time with the gospel for God's glory.